Okay. Good deal. Let's uh, let's get started. Well, <clears throat> so word of prayer. Father, we are really needy people. We were talking earlier about the song we're going to start service this morning with uh, victory in Jesus. But uh, we thank you that, as Paul says, uh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We're glad that you do because we wouldn't win the victory any other way, certainly not in our strength. While we may accomplish a lot of other less important things maybe in life when it comes to salvation, when it comes to saving the world, when it comes to saving even our own lives, we are completely powerless. But um, you didn't just stop with forgiveness of sin and a transformed heart. You also share your glory and your authority and your throne with us. And that is just astounding to me. It, it, it goes well beyond even just grace that we would expect maybe if we're going to even get some grace. Um, it, it's, uh, as Paul says, we thank you for your indescribable gift. So this morning as we continue in John 11, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, we've been talking about disappointment with you. And I thank you that you are big enough to handle our honesty in this area. There are times when we're disappointed, maybe times when we're even angry with you. And, and, uh, and that's, that's okay, um, as long as we don't stay there. And uh, we thank you that you have given us the book of Psalms as well, which can help us in those dark times and which remind us that you are the shepherd who goes with us through the dark times. And we know uh, from your word that you have promised to work all things together for good. And we're certainly going to see that as we, as we reach the climax of this chapter and we see this amazing miracle, most um, graphic and, and uh, undeniable display of power ever that you did in public. And um, just a good reminder to us that, that your timing and your ways, while it may not be ours, is better. And so we just uh, commit this time to you ask, bless not only the word here this morning with us, but many other churches. Uh, some have met already, others are meeting now, and some will still meet around the world, that you will open your words in many hearts today, in Jesus' name. All right, John 11. I, uh, I jumped online, I don't know if you've done that or not, jumped online and listened to some of the messages, and uh, listened to myself too, and I'm like, man, I was dragging my feet too much, I need to keep moving my text. <laughs> so, I don't know, it all works pretty, but um, we, we want to jump I do want to jump right in without a, a lot of background setting this morning, and we've all been here through uh, the background. By the way, I do have copies of the notes. Jesus wept. Anybody need some this morning? They are right there. If you do. So let's jump in, and uh, remember that what's the what's the main sort of the main word or main idea here? Belief, right? Belief. Um, belief, you might, I've been struggling with how to summarize it, and I think maybe a good way to say is the choice to believe or not. 
okay? And I say that because, you know, of course, we know about the raising of Lazarus. That's what chapter 11 is famous for. But there's some fallout from that, too, which, you know, a big chunk of chapter 11, the tail end of it there from 45 uh, down to the very end, 57. This, this is a big chapter. There's a lot of verses in this chapter, okay? But the end of that kind of give us a glimpse of the other side, right? The unbelief part of it. But at the heart of it is, is that choice. You're presented with the evidence. What Are you going to believe or are you not, right? And so that's that's the essence of, of this chapter. And um, um, and so that's, that's where we are. We've been through the first part of... Uh, Verses 1 through 16, where, where the disciples are struggling with belief, right? Uh, Jesus, remember, they wanted to kill you in Judea. Probably not a good idea to go down there, just saying, okay? And Jesus is like, I'm glad this has happened so that you may believe, right? And uh, we just, we saw the... The, uh, I still kind of continue to be maybe amazed by that. And I don't want to belabor the point. But here they are, three years in. He's near the very near the end of his ministry. And they've been with him approximately three years, maybe maybe a little less, depending on when they were called. And that's, you know, his ministry really starts with the baptism of, of John the Baptist. And, and um, But they've been with him for, you know, several years at least, right? And a couple of years at least. And they're still having a hard time believing. That's a, in a way that's encouraging to me because, you know, we here we are. We haven't ever seen the Lord in person, and we we we're growing, but we still struggle at times too, right? Especially in those dark times when you really wonder, like Mary and Martha, Lord, where were you when we needed you? That's when it really comes home to roost. And, uh, you know, and thinking about it again uh, a little bit this week, that's when faith is tested to see if it's genuine or not. There's a lot of people today, a lot of people call themselves Christians, who are uh, John 6 types of disciples, right? Fair-weather disciples. As long as Jesus is doling out the miracles, and as long as he's feeding us, you know, with this <clears throat> miraculous lunch, and... Uh, you know, we're on board with that. But when it comes to those those dark times, those times of disappointment where Jesus doesn't come through in the way and in the time that you thought he would or could or should, you know, that's when we see, you know, what you're really made of. But even then, that can be fake, too, because uh, there's been an interesting study John MacArthur did recently uh, about the different disciples. He, he did a preaching series. Today. He's got a book, too, called 12 Ordinary Men, which is one of his better uh, sellers, bestsellers, uh, which he goes through each of them. And he said in there that he did a, I think for his um, doctorate dissertation or something, he did a study on Judas Iscariot for his dissertation, which is interesting, because he wanted to understand, sort of unpack, how could somebody be that close to the Lord, right? Part of that intimate 12. Remember, there are a lot of other people that followed him too. What was the 12, right? There's a lot of people around. But here, you're part of that core 12, and, and yet at the very end, serve uh, the Lord. It's, it's kind of a, a, a scary thing, you know. You, you, um, it, it's, it's not a bad thing, really, to have our faith tested, I guess is what I'm saying. To be sure that we're proven to be genuine, right? Because you can be a faker. 
fool yourself. I think Judas was sincere. He, he, he really sincerely believed in Jesus um, right up maybe to the very end there. We'll see that in chapter 12. Judas is actually mentioned in chapter 12, and, and we'll see, um, I think, kind of where that tipping point was for him. Be that as it may, I didn't promise. I promised not a long running, right? So we'll, we'll get back to the test. <laughs> All right. Um, let's read uh, this whole thing, and then we'll unpack it together. We've been through points. Uh, let me make sure I'm in the right section here. And Dave, do you need notes this morning? Jesus no. wept. No. Okay. Back to point one, but we'll read that again. Okay, 28 to 38 here. 28 to 38. John 11. When she had said this, this is Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who, were, who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. We're only through, well, I didn't mention that's part A. 38A is where we are, okay? All right, so the first, the first point here, a very simple outline, because this is just a narrative, right? This is just a story. Uh, so I didn't want to interrupt the flow with a lot of, you know, sub points and everything. Um, the first part, which we've looked at, is 28 through 32, and um, part of the part of the questions that you know, one of the questions that stood out to me was, why didn't Jesus just follow Martha to the house? Right? He knew Mary wasn't there. Obviously, Martha came to meet him outside the village, uh, um, and, and yet, well, where's Mary? Uh, okay, well, she's back to the house. Well, let me go with you. I mean, that's kind of what I think I would do, right? You know. Let me go ahead and console her. Yeah, I got some really great news I want to tell you guys. I'm about to raise you. That would be me, right? Jesus doesn't do that. He stays there where Martha met him. And we talked about that, right? And uh, I think that the answer is pretty obvious in the text because John, John goes out of his way to be sure that we know that there's a fairly large group of the Jews that are there, right? And Remember, that's, that phrase, the Jews, is John's special term for these, uh, these religious and even political rulers of the nation. Right? I say political, and we know that Rome occupied them, but Rome did allow them a good bit of autonomy to sort of rule their own internal affairs, right? So, for example, they had the right to, 
kick people out of the synagogue. They had the right to, well, they really didn't have the right, but they did do some stonings of people, and the Romans kind of looked the other way because if they harp on them too much, then they'd have a rebellion on their hands, right? So, um, and, and, they, and really the chief priests, a.k.a. Sadducees, uh, were more or less a political party, more political than religious, like the Pharisees, okay? So anyway, the Jews is his sort of comprehensive encapsulating term which grabs all of these people that are the cream of the crop. And he's going out of his way to let us know that there's a good, there's a, there's a good size uh, audience here of those people that are here to see this, okay? What is their, what is the, you might say, okay, so let's put it this way. If these are the cool kids of the nation, is Jesus popular with the cool kids or not? No, there's no question about that at all, right? Uh, and, and I'm just imagining here too that, that there are uh, wives, maybe sons and daughters, maybe even some Pharisees themselves, right? Some of the, some of the Sanhedrin, or their wives, or their you know their favorite son or their favorite daughter is there, or something like that. That that uh, these are these are these are people who, if, even if they themselves maybe have a little sympathy toward Jesus, and boy, he really did a lot of great works and stuff, um, they know better than to express that out loud, right? So the mood of this crowd, these cool kids of the nation, so to speak, is Jesus is not welcome here at our lunch table, right? And so if Jesus had followed Martha uh, to, back to the house, to collect Mary, hey, let's go to the tomb, not many of them would have followed. So, again, the providence of God, Jesus stays where he is. And he lets Martha go, and in secret she calls Mary. Mary pops up quickly. Now, Mary's response there, there's a lot of emotion here. We're going to look, take a look at that again. Um, there's a lot of emotion here, and and and, but, but what's clear in the text is that I, you know, when I saw that word quickly, I was like, I kind of at first read into that excitement, you know, that, oh, well, we're finally here, I'm, you know, and, and joy in a sense. But that's not her mood because she comes weeping. She's weeping in the house and she's weeping. She falls at the feet of Jesus. And apparently <coughs> the, the words that she says to him, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died, were through tears. She was crying and she, when she said it, okay? And then because John tells us that he saw her tears. He saw her wailing, okay? And, and, and that's, that is a loud, audible, that word means a loud, audible cry. Um, and so when she gets up and goes quickly, it's probably with, with you know, wiping and, 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 and just a, maybe even a fresh flood of tears where, you know, it's four days and she's kind of, you know, you kind of, your tears sometimes come in waves, right? And and and, and maybe this was a, a fresh flood of tears as she gets up. They don't know what Martha has said. Thankfully, Martha didn't make a big announcement either, right? You know, hey, Jesus is here. We're going to go. Because none of them are. The Jews and the Lord, God the Father in his wisdom knows this, right? And so he, they all they see is Mary get up quickly with more, more tears. And they presume that she's going 
to leave at the tomb, right? Okay. Well, you're a guest. You're there to sympathize with the family. What do you do? You get to meet her, right? The Lord, in His wisdom, takes all takes a large audience of Jews in this wealthy, predominant family. This home this is probably a large home with servants that are accommodating them and feeding them for multiple days, you know, and, 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 and they all follow. And that's important because they're all going to be part of that large influential audience that's going to see this miracle. The message here, and I know you all know this, but this just gives me chills even as I say, okay, is, is that God is in all the details. It seems like he doesn't care at all. Jesus, why weren't you here? Don't you care? Did you love Lazarus? Remember they said in the message, the, man, the one whom you love. Well, that's a weird way of showing that you love here, right? And yet God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are not only concerned, they're intimately involved in the whole thing. And they're going to bring all of these circumstances that the disciples to Martha to Mary and to the Jews all look like it couldn't get any worse they're going to bring all of this to a mighty climax where he's a, where they're about to be witnesses of the greatest public miracle that Jesus ever did in my opinion they have no idea they have no idea they're weeping they're crying and carrying on in this despair and out of the despair comes this glorious burst of grace and power and authority and a vision of God's power on display in a way that none of them have ever seen. Is there a lesson for us? <laughs> yes, think about it right there. You know, 
C.S. Lewis has a famous, <laughs> a famous quote uh, that pain is God's megaphone. He whispers to us in our comfort, but he shouts to us in our pain. And, uh, and that's true. That's, just a, that's a very good point. You know what? Just I can't resist this. This has been on my heart safe for a while, but I'm holding on to it. Um, I think we're going to see this. But when the church was born at Pentecost, it seems like you only got 120 people in the upper room, or not, not the, room the room where they were gathered, right? When the Holy Spirit fell. But then you got all these Jews, and they're coming in. They're they're in town for the Pentecost, and and, and they're and they, what's that noise? And they come in, they gather, and Peter stands up and he gives that message, and it says, "What I think it's like three thousand, right, are added that day to the number." And it's like, where did it come from? Some of them are here, I believe. I believe. I mean, we, as as I'm as I'm reading the Gospel of John, as we're studying the other Gospels like Mark and so on. The seeds being planted, right? Being planted. And, and not all of them were in that room when the Spirit fell, but the seeds were all there. And, and people, especially after Christ died, and there's just this beautiful image of you know, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And oil is, is a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's one of the pictures. I love that, that he's that olive that that was pressed, the Holy Spirit just came out of that sacrifice, began to work at the with the man, the criminal on one side that, that came to faith, and the, and the centurion, surely is the Son of God, and other people, and he's working in their hearts, and then when he falls, you know, 50 days later at Pentecost, boom, there's this massive harvest, but it didn't just like happen right then when Peter preached, right? There was preparation that was happening for it, and I think this is part of that. I think some of these people would not have been surprised when we get to heaven and hear all the stories and people's individual stories. What was happening? What is your perspective on this? You were alive at that time. You kind of need to know, you know, oh yeah, but, you know, it was, it was, we kind of didn't know about Jesus. Well, I saw him raising Lazarus. Man, man, and then Peter priest, it was conviction time. No, kind of interesting. Like I said, at this time, the power of the Holy Spirit was not placed on them. Like you said, the he comes and he, and he went, you know. Now Jesus did tell the disciples, he's sleeping. That's good. Right? Where's the disciples? Oh, they're all cuddled in the corner somewhere worried about getting assassinated. Why weren't they dispersed upon the people saying, this is Jesus? Yeah. Get ready for a show. Yeah. Jesus right. told us personally he is sleeping. Now until the Holy Spirit comes later, like you said, and is placed upon them, and the boldness is placed upon them to go and tell people. But at this time they didn't have that. So why weren't these twelve out there encouraging and saying, getting ready for the show? Jesus would have to do that. You mean at Lazarus? Yeah. yeah. Where are the disciples at? Yeah. Not saying the disciples were telling people, hey, get ready for the show. That's right. No, they were Getting ready to, for the assassination, right? <laughs> right. right. They were worried about themselves. Let's go and die with it. Yeah, that's right. a good point. Um, one of the things that I've noticed in the Gospels is that Jesus is always the master at setting the stage when he's there confronting people. You can't always see it. Sometimes you can see it a lot easier than others. 
like for example when uh, the woman was brought and taken in the belt he would set that stage very clearly to be confronted but i think that's the case here not just setting the stage of the location but the hearts of the people everything because the goal is to exalt the lord to mm -hmm. glorify the, the god of heaven and he knows how to do it and to make people anxious i mean he does that all of us that's why that's why we have suffering this morning suffering is going to set our hearts on the stage of where god can can work in our lives mm -hmm. that's right that's right and as you say that too part of the preparation for this is coming we'll see the fruit of that in chapter 12 as well this also explains why there were so many that were saying hosanna blessed as he comes in the name of the lord as he's writing in okay a lot of these people were there and they stoked that they were the ones who were excited they'd seen this and they're beginning to believe and, and uh, but you know what on that larger point you know i i believe as i think about it more study more the triumphal it's called the triumphal entry i like to call presentation to king because i really believe that it is actually a foretaste of the real triumphal yes. entry which is yet to come yes, amen. okay and you're talking about pain and how god both you and rick about pain and how god uses that um you won't really understand the tribulation, seven years of tribulation, take the last three and a half, and so forth, unless you look at it from that perspective. That what God is doing there is primarily the nation Israel, not exclusively, but primarily bringing the nation Israel through a final time of serious earthly judgment to bring them to that place where they recognize their Messiah for who he is. Mm. And when they have nowhere else to turn and they call out to him, like uh, John MacArthur in that series, I thought it was an excellent point that he made about Isaiah 53. This is a prediction of a prayer that Israel is going to pray in the future as they look back on what they did to their Messiah and they're going to repent of that. And when that happens, here he comes. But God has to bring them through tribulation. And you've read that. You know how difficult that is. Right? But in that, too, is there's going to be a whole lot of Gentiles as well who are going to hear the gospel, <coughs> are going to repent. I think it'll be the, it's, it's just amazing how God works because he takes that time, he uses it in the nation of Israel's uh, history to finally bring them to the place where they accept the Messiah. But he, I think he's going to also use that in church history to bring about the greatest revival the church has ever seen. I think people will come to Christ by the millions. That's why we get clues of that in Revelation. It says there's a crowd without number that had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. Right? And these are people that are saved out of the tribulation of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So, um, wow. So God definitely uses pain, uh, our pain, to get our attention. Um, so with that in mind, here come here come the uh, emotions now. Okay, so this this chapter has tons of emotion, and that's why I titled our notes "Jesus Wept." Right? Um, it, 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 of course, being the shortest verse in the English Bible, um, it's it's also the kind of the the centerpiece of this whole. Thing. It's not just Jesus, but but all the emotion. It's just so much emotion swirling around this, you know. And uh, there's been a lot of debate, as we said earlier, and this is the front page of your notes. So I don't want to belabor the point a whole lot, other than to just 
refresh us on why Jesus was weeping, okay? So let's go back. This is uh, point two on our outline now, uh, 33 through 35, okay? Verses 33 through 35. Let me just reread that again. Um, right, let's back up to 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay? Now, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and John doesn't skip the Jews. He says, oh, by the way, also the Jews, all those friends that had come as well and thought she was going to the tomb, they, they come up and they're doing the same thing. The Jews who had come with her also weeping, okay? Stop there for a second. Look at the first page of your notes, that little table there, okay? So let's go back and review our word study. Verse 33 is pregnant with emotion, okay? Lots of emotion here. Verse 38 and 35, of course, also 35 is where it says Jesus wept. But 33, you see how many times 33 is mentioned there in the left column, right? Um, this word weeping that's applied to both Mary and the Jews means a loud, audible cry in the Greek, okay? So this is, this is a very um, loud, very visual thing. Contrast that with verse 35, which is a different word for Jesus' tears. They use that word tears specifically. They were weeping. He was crying, was weeping, or, or not. His, his tears, that Greek word in verse 35 means to shed tears silently. So, so the tears were, were coming down his cheeks. It was very visible to everybody because the Jews even commented on it, right? See how he loved him. That's how they interpreted it. But it's a different word. So Mary and Martha, you got to picture this, right? As she's coming up and falling at his feet, just probably with exhaustion, just emotion, right? You know, and just the whole moment, the relief to see him and yet the bitterness of that and, and the whole conflict of emotions, similar to what Martha did, right? Martha, same thing, you can hear that in her words, right? Or if you've been here yet, I know that God will, right? The whole, the whole just tension that you feel on the one hand, the disappointment and yet her faith, and I think Martha's the same way, or Mary's the same way. She's falling down here. She's, she's exhausted. It's been four days of weeping and disappointment with you even before that. Why didn't you get here, Father? You, Jesus it, it just probably couldn't even hardly get the words out, right, for the tears. She finally sees him, and here come the fresh flood of tears. And, and it's an audible, loud weeping. And, and then that touches her friends. And yes, it's true they did hire mourners, but I think a lot of this with sincere weeping on their part. Uh, you know, the, a lot of the Jews are her friends and, and Lazarus' friends, and, and they were a dearly loved family, not just because of, like Lori said the other few weeks ago, she was talking about, you know, their contributions to the, to the synagogue. I'm sure they did do that, but there was some genuine feelings here. Uh, and so the Greek word is the same for Mary and the Jews. It's a loud, audible weeping. And I, I think... Um, you know, if, I don't think a lot of it was pretentious in the part of the Jews. So, okay. um, but then let's look at the words of emotion applied now to Jesus. 
So Jesus sees this. He sees her weeping, and he sees the Jews weeping. This verse 33. He was, and the ESV says, deeply moved in his spirit. Okay? That's the first part. Look at your notes again. Second row there. Okay? So th there's, there's two word studies we're doing here. First is the groan. Uh, I think that's the uh, New King James. The King James used that word groan. He groaned in his spirit, okay? Um, <clears throat> that means to snort with anger or indignation, to sigh with chagrin or to murmur against, right? And then it's used in combination with in his spirit. So you've got this word that means to snort with indignation, okay? And it says in his spirit. That that word in his that word spirit there should not be capitalized. I, I, I don't remember if I saw any translations that did that, but it should be in his it it means in his soul, in his mental disposition. So really what he's expressing here, putting those Greek words together, is 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 a a mental exasperation. He is, you might say, frustrated here, which is an interesting emotional reaction, an intellectual reaction, really, is what it is, what the emphasis is. In his spirit can can be both emotions and the mind as well. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that it, I think the emphasis here is on the mind because it says, and he was troubled, right? That's the emotional part. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's an enhanced emotion of, of being disturbed, like water that's being disturbed, okay? Um, and so I think what it's saying is both his mind, he was exasperated, and his emotions were stirred up greatly because of this, okay? Because of something, okay? That's, that's the full meaning of verse 33. There where it says that the latter part of that, and greatly troubled, makes it stir to agitate, agitate like your spring of water. So the question is, John links this, this reaction of Jesus to the weeping of Mary and the Jews. And the question has been for scholars for a long time, why? Why? You know, and, and we've talked about this, right? And I don't want to belabor the point a whole lot. Um, but it's it clearly is not um, because he's affected deeply by their loud crying and weeping, right? He knows what he's about to do. He knows that. And so, again, it's on your notes. I know we'll be later the point. You know, process of elimination. Keep in mind, what's, what did he tell his disciples? I'm glad that this happened. He's the only one who's glad, by the way. Right? He's the only one who's happy with his circumstances, you might say. So that you may believe. I think what he's doing here is both his mind and his emotions are stirred up and he's agitated because of their unbelief. They still, they still don't believe. They still don't believe after all of this time. They still struggle with their belief. But that's not to say that he isn't touched by their infirmities. We know that he is, right? That their, their grief is genuine. He knows that. And some people have said that, that he's crying because um, he sees the effect of sin and you know, the wages of sin is death, and death is such a bitter 
consequence of sin, right? And, and he sees that, and he sees its effect on people that are dear to him, and he weeps. And I, I don't doubt that that's part of it. I think it's a mix of emotion here. But I think leading the charge is this thing of unbelief. Yeah, so that's what John MacArthur, he wrote, I wrote it down in the Bible. He says, his tears were not in mourning over Lazarus, for he, he will make him rise. But his sorrowful tears were for a sin-fallen, unbelieving world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for years I thought that that's what he was crying for because of Lazarus. And I thought, God, he's not. He's not. He's God. You know, he knew what was going to happen to him. But that hit home right there. Because that's, that's where his heart's broken for because he tested so how how long now do you say he's really close to he's really close to his death? Jesus is really close to his his crucifixion. So he's trying to get this stuff out. And it's like, come on, you don't you don't see this. You don't hear me. You don't hear me. Especially like after five feeding five thousand, how many of those people were away? You know, he lost all those people. It's like that's a, to me that was amazing too. You feed all these people by that little bit of fish. But yeah, I think that's you're right. I think it's because of this he were unbelief. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Good morning, girls. Good to see you guys. Yes. Good point. Um, so, let's see. Verse, uh, let's move on. Verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Okay, come and see. Um Notice, uh, now who's who's saying that to him? They said to him. It's interesting. It, it doesn't really say in the text. I think the implication, because, you know, the verse, the verse designations came later, right? So I think the context there is, is Mary and the Jews. Remember, they thought she was was going to, to the tomb to weep for, for Lazarus. So I think the they just carries that idea all the way through, right? So it's interesting, though. It doesn't say she said. It says they. So apparently some of the Jews were, were, were uh, affected also by the visual, visual display of Jesus' emotion there, you know? They, now, they misinterpreted it, I think. Uh, he's really weeping for them. The truth is, he's weeping for them. More now, we can see John 11. So yeah, we're about to... Wrap up here. You know, um, there is hardly anything more frustrating than if you have some people that you love very dearly and you see that they are embracing something that isn't the truth and really embracing it and defending it. And it's such an important issue. And I, I'm thinking not only of spiritual things, but also political it really hurts when you see that and you really it actually sometimes can make you mad you want to grab them and shake them you feel <laughs> deeply moved can't you wake up and yet you can't you can't do that it just pushes them further away and to be have somebody you love being deceived and taken in by error it is troubling and can produce a lot of emotion yes yes that's exactly right that's a very good point so he's he's greatly troubled verse 33 verse 34 where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Okay. Um, that's great. You know, which which tells us that he wasn't already at the tomb, right? Wherever it was that he stopped and <coughs> was probably on the road into 
into uh, Bethany, but they, he's just he's just there. They come, they meet him. There's all of this emotion in verse 33, and in verse 34, they say to him, "Come, come and see." Um, but they and then him as Lord. So that's like that's yes, like, yes, yes, Lord. So that had, that's an intimate. That's an intimate. It's not just like, "Hey, come." That's an intimate. That's an intimate. Uh, Relationship, right? Well, it's term respect. respect. Yes. And it's a recognition of authority. They don't say rabbi. They don't say teacher, which is a, which is a, a sign of, of, of respect for wisdom. This is karyos in the Greek. This is this is a, a word of authority. This is a one who carries authority. And, and I'll tell you what, um, you know, wherever they all were with their belief in who Jesus was at this point, I don't think there's any doubt at this point in, in this in this time of pain, you know, when I'm feeling good, I, I can badmouth Jesus, okay? But when the chips are down, I'm in this really dark place. Now, suddenly, if he comes into the room or comes into the scene, suddenly there's there's somebody here that is the only person that can really do something about this, right? And it's, a, it's an interesting detail there that if they, which seems to include some of the Jews, are calling him Lord, which I find interesting. Now, what's the next verse? Verse 35, Jesus wept, right? Title of our notes, shortest verse in the English Bible, as we said. Lots of controversy. Why was he weeping? I think we solved that. Um, this is not the same Greek word as that loud wailing. This is just tears. And I think the the, the anguish in his face, and I, <laughs> I said this last time, I, I also wonder, you know, clearly the disciples, and John especially, was studying Jesus's reaction here very closely watching him and John picked up on that internal exasperation and and frustration that Jesus felt <laughs> um, you know and, and I'm not let's say how but somehow maybe in his you know with a sigh you know rolling his eyes or some form or another I guarantee you John and the disciples were probably used to that. <laughs> yeah. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. That 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 the disciples were oh they called them. okay, it's it's that you you get to know somebody pretty well and you kind of know they didn't have to say something, right? Something happens and you see their reaction and they're like okay, good example is Joan, your mom, right? She always had this raised eyebrow, right, that everybody still talks about. You know, or your dad, your dad had, boy, he had some looks, mm. right? <laughs> Werner, Werner had some looks. And, and, you know, I, I knew him many years too, and I, I got to know some of those looks too. But Jesus had a look here that John picked up on, and it boils over into some silent tears that, that come visibly down his cheeks, okay? Um, a lot of people have taken comfort in that over the years. In fact, Werner did. You know, he said uh, as a younger man, he had trouble. He came... He prided himself in not crying when he left home. You know, his mom was weeping, and he left home in Germany to come to the States. At 18, I think he was, right? And proud himself, he's strong man. But when, 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 when the Holy Spirit moved on his heart, and he came to respond to the gospel, he was weeping, right? And he felt embarrassed that the pastor took him to this verse. And that's good. I'm glad that it spoke to him in that moment, and that's, that's good. That's a good comfort there. Whatever the, the, the reasons are, and I think they're multiplicity reasons, but again, I think the main reason Jesus is weeping here, again, is because of unbelief, right? We see him 
several days, maybe several weeks later, weeping over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a hand gathers her chicks, but you didn't. Therefore, your house, that means your temple, was left, is left desolate to you. Right? God has abandoned your religious system. <clears throat> and he weeps about that. And I think that's why I say his weeping here is not for Lazarus, certainly, but for them, for the Jews, and, and, their, and the slowness of heart to believe, which would include his disciples. It includes his disciples, includes Martha, includes Mary, includes the Jews. Um, all right, so let's move on. Uh, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Okay, well, they're touched by this. They misinterpret his tears. Okay, they think he's weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping for them. They misinterpret that. But you know what's interesting to me here, too, is, like I said in, in Werner's case, you know, how many times... Have people gone to that little tiny verse right there and, and said this is proof that despite the circumstances Jesus was not apathetic to their pain he was not apathetic to what they're going through yes they're misunderstanding yes they're totally not only misinterpreting the circumstances specifically for Lazarus they're misunderstanding and misinterpreting him in the broader scheme that's the that's what he's really weeping about. But still, he is touched by their pain. And he's still that way with us today. right? And Hebrews reminds us of that. It says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our temptations and our weaknesses and our, and our, our shaky doubt. He loved those, those people there even as they struggled with believing in him, trusting him. And thank God he still has that heart for us because I'll be the first to raise my hand and say there are times when I'm like, Jesus, what on earth are you doing? You know, and there are times when when I just don't feel like a Christian. You know, it's like, man, where are my prayers going anywhere? You know, um, do, do you even care? And he does. He certainly does. Um, the so Jews say they misinterpret. See how he loved him, but some. But okay, so so he got a, a mixed reaction. Some are like they're really touched by his visual display of emotion, but others are holding on to that hardened, you know, verse thirty-seven. But some of them said, "Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying?" Sarcastic. Sarcastic. What are they talking about here? Two chapters earlier, what? Chapter 9, man born blind. Wow. That story apparently made big news in the Jerusalem Gazette. Or they or they actually had to be there. Or they were there. Yes, quite quite likely. Good point. Some of the, that's a very good point. Some of the we know that the Pharisees were the ones who you know drug the guy in for a for a formal hearing, right? And and, and so Maybe, you're right, maybe some of them were either part of that crowd that had, had couldn't reconcile how Jesus could violate the Sabbath and yet heal this man, right, and bring him to that Pharisees, or maybe some of them were the Pharisees themselves who had 
they're part of that little impromptu hearing with, with this guy and eventually kick him out, right? Um, but you can hear their sarcasm here and their, their, their you know, even, even in the midst of a model the weeping, there's this bitter response, right? You know, this, this nasty little kind of mock dig, right? But I think it summarizes, again, Mary, Mary and Martha had been stewing in that environment. And I guarantee you that wasn't a spur of the moment thought. That was something that they had had and had kind of put out there for several days. And they said it out loud. And they said it out loud. Because they wanted other people to hear that to get the doubt and possibly put the doubt in Martha and Mary's ear. Jesus heard it. Yes. He yes. heard it because he, and I'm not jumping on your bandwagon. He heard it because he's the, the next the next verse is his response. He weeped again. He, he, he was sad again. That's right. That's right. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yep. And so let's go to that. Verse 38 there. 38A, actually. Okay. <laughs> she's getting me a hard time. She said, Y'all competition for no door. She's door's not here. You're being teacher's pet. No, I just. Oh. I've, I've studied this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good stuff. Verse 38a Then Jesus, deeply moved, keyword again, right, came to the tomb. Okay. We'll stop there. Uh, the next set of notes is where the whole the clouds part. And the glory shines through, right? So we're looking forward to that. But gotta feel you gotta feel the weight of this emotion, right? They are at the depths of despair. Jesus is weeping too, but he's weeping because they don't believe, you know, and because he knows where all of this is ultimately going, that the nation is in the process of rejecting him as her savior, as her Messiah, as the Christ, right? But was it, you know, again, Martha earlier, you know, she didn't have it all figured out, but she said the right thing. I don't, I don't got it all figured out, but I know you are the Christ, right? I know you are the Messiah, the, the one who is coming from God. That's a very specific designation that she gives him. And, you know, and that's a great place for us to hide too, by the way. When you don't understand the circumstances and, and, and why God is doing what he's doing or, or apparently not doing what he should be doing, just hide yourself and who he is. When all else fails, hide yourself in who he is. You know his character. You know that he is good. You know that he is perfectly just. He does nothing that's unjust in any way, shape, or form, right? Um, he is perfectly dependable, even when the circumstances seem to say otherwise. So Jesus deeply moved again. And that's the same word that was used back up in verse 33. Again, look at your notes there, second, second row in that little table. On the first page to snort with indignation okay same Greek word so he's snorting angrily here uh, frustration not anger not sinful anger but just in frustration and, and Rick's exactly right why is he doing that again because of verse 37 could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also raised this keep this man from dying the unbelief. All right, any questions, thoughts, comments as we wrap up? Mr. Let's close the
Heavenly Father, it's, it's, it's really a blessing to know that you have not only, and I keep saying only because that's the only way I know how to express it, is I don't want to minimize the atoning death of Jesus. Absolutely critical and so monumental. And we're taken in by the cross and we're amazed by that. But the cross is not an end in itself. The cross we don't worship. We worship the Savior who is there. And he is alive today and he is interceding for us today. We thank you that we have a high priest, the same one who is weeping here for the unbelief, still weeps today. And still is moved by our, our pain. And when we go through circumstances and we complain about them, or we, we doubt, we even shout furiously at you, or we just ignore you, um, you know, out of give you the silent treatment, so to speak, uh, whatever our responses are, we know that you are not unmoved by that. We thank you that, that we have such a high priest who is able to not only intercede for us, but to intercede for us with sympathy, who understands what we're going through, even as you may be frustrated with us, and I'm sure you are, just like you were with your disciples many times, but I thank you that overriding that is your great love and patience, that you see the end result, even if we don't. And so help us to trust you, especially in those times when it's dark and it's hard, because we know the promises of your word, <coughs> that you are working all things together for good, to those who love you, call according to your purpose, and for your glory. And that's really what we see. Even if, if we have to go through some pain in order for you to be glorified, we want to be there. Yeah. We want to accept that. Not natural. It's not a natural thing, but, but by Holy Spirit, by the example we see here in chapter 11, it's a good reminder that, that we just need to keep that in mind, that you will receive glory from us even in our pain. And so like the Michael Card song says, to lift up our suffering. Lift up our tears, lift up our anger to you as a sacrifice. And um, it's a good reminder to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. I have one comment that I was just thinking about with this passage. I just thought it was interesting that um, that like he did a lot of miracles in front of the Jew, you know, like the Jewish people and then they chose that one about the blind man who opened up the blind man's eyes so he could see and then he and then they talk about you know raising from the dead so i just thought that was interesting because you open up your eyes and you raise him from the dead and it was interesting that they picked that one miracle look at you the, the red and red stripes don't you just yeah. 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 yeah that's right that's right that's a great observation because both of those symbols both of those occasions are Pictures of spiritual blindness and spiritual death. Mm -hmm. That's right. So it was, just, it was just really interesting. Yeah. yeah. That they didn't say, oh, well, you made the lame walk, or, you know, they just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That